Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. So yesterday at City Council, uh, at uh, General Issues Committee, a document came forward. It's a, it's a hugely important document to begin the process of what the city is going to do long range, like 30, 40 year planning and building on the waterfront in the old industrial lands that can now be revitalized and all the rest. Uh, I mean, hugely important. Now, this was not the kind of thing where they were asking council to lock in on billions of dollars of spending or anything. It was more just a let's get the ball rolling. All right. So it wasn't as it wasn't the most important decision any council is going to make. However, Councillor Brad Clark, Wardy Councillor Brad Clark, raised a really interesting question during this and said, Is this, should we be doing this now that we're a month from the election? Is this not the kind of thing that maybe we leave for the next council to do that we just put off for a little bit? And it got me wondering about that. What about council in general? Once an election is called and councillors are now, or others are now uh, campaigning or whatever else, their attention is divided, should we be having any council? going on or when the election is called should everything just cease and the business that needs to be done gets put off for the new one let's bring in a person who knows his way around council he sat there as a councillor and as a mayor his name is larry deany he joins us now mr mayor how are you today i am well scott thank you so what about this idea because again it was i know there are very small picayune things that councils will do after an election is called and there are also some bigger things that they will do. Should we be doing any of it, or should it just all be put off to the new council once that election is called? Well, I'm surprised that Brad didn't know that there are certain rules around uh, a lean duck council, which is what it's called, by the way. It sounds he did. No, sounds- no. Let me jump in for a sec. He did mention the lame duck council. The di- the only reason that this didn't qualify is because there was no money or anything exactly. involved in it. But it was, that's the so- point. That's the point. The, the point is that. Uh, and let me just explain uh, for people who, who may find the term offensive. It, it actually is a term that's embedded in the Municipal Act, which describes a council uh, during an election period uh, that uh, shouldn't be making important decisions around money or personnel. And those are the two items that are highlighted in the Municipal Act, uh, because they may not be around to uh, to uh, be around the table to, 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 to deal with the consequences of those decisions. And so consequently, legislation has, um, has taken that into consideration. And if there's going to be a material change in council, and there will be with our council, there are seven people um, out, of, out of 16 that are not uh, seeking re-election. And if some uh, one or two lose, then the majority of new councillors uh, will not have been around for decisions made right now. And so c- consequently, council cannot encumber uh, that future council on monetary issue or even for per- some significant personnel issues. And so uh, we're in a lame duck period. Now, what was presented at council was a broad uh, presentation of what might happen down the road uh, with uh, these very important lands. No decision uh, was being asked of the councillors around expenditures, and no decision really was being asked of the councillors around, uh, you know, the the nitty-gritty of the details of of the planning. It was simply an introduction to what uh, will come down the road with those specifics brought in. So consequently, I I think uh, 
uh, it was okay for council to deal with it. I mean, let's face it. Uh, you know, we've been able to, to, to now uh, run for this new council uh, for over a month now, and the business of the city needs to move forward, and councillors have to do some things uh, to deal with, with that business, and so consequently uh, to have them simply suspend, suspend uh, any meeting uh, wouldn't serve our citizens well. Um, well, and the however, reason, Larry, and, and so the reason I ask, because, okay, you're absolutely right. Everything you've said about that meeting, that issue, uh, you're absolutely right. I, I, it was, that was, to me, was more of a, a broad general idea of this is, you right. know, this is something that we would talk about. But when, when, when the federal government is, when they call an election, the House of Commons is shut down and they don't continue on once a campaign has started in the province. We don't, once a campaign has started, keep sitting. That's, you're now off and campaigning and we wait for the new one. And I'm just wondering why we don't do that at the municipal uh, level but as there, well. But there's a difference, Scott. So yes, uh, the House of Commons shuts down and you're in election mode, but the government doesn't shut down the cabinet ministers still discharge their duties. Uh, they still move the business of the country forward through, through the work that they do as ministers. Cabinet still meets. The prime minister's office still makes decisions, even though you're, you're part of this election. In, uh, in municipal government, we don't have, a, um, we don't have a, 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 an inner group, as it were, uh, to move the business of, of the city forward. We have the council. So they have to meet, even though, quite frankly, and, and the, uh, the Municipal Act also uh, sort of uh, uh, foresaw this as an issue, a council delegates to the chief administrative officer a lot of decision-making authority, although the, the city manager, in our case, wouldn't make, you know, she wouldn't make multi-million dollar decisions no. um, on behalf of council because then there would be um, some criticism for that, but but delegated uh, responsibility to to uh, to to senior staff is given during this period, even though there are some statutory things that council must do, and therefore the meetings do do uh, occur, even though they cut them early. I think the the ones that we saw this week are the last ones uh, before before uh, mm. the election, and then uh, we pick it up after that. When you were in office, when you were either councillor or mayor, and, and forgive me, I'm trying hard to remember um, all the circumstances of where your positions were and where you were running, but if you were in office and you had an election coming up, honestly, was your attention, was your no. full attention given to the work of the council or did some no, of it have to no, be drawn away to campaigning? Not. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, I wanted, and I'll, I, I can assure you that every single councillor that's running for re-election Except those those that are decided that they're not running again uh, and don't mind being around that table. Every single other council wants to be out there, knocking on doors, speaking to constituents, and trying to hold their job and trying to get win it back. Uh, because the opposition that isn't encumbered by the office is certainly still doing that. So you're absolutely right. So the lame duck describes not only the official period where you cannot make major decisions. But it also describes the frame of mind of the councillors who would sooner be out there trying to talk to constituents than in here talking about this or that issue. 
Yeah, it, it, it's just, it's it's such an interesting one because, I mean, obviously you're correct about the workings and the machinations and, and all that of the different levels of government. But I just, as I say, when this one came up yesterday, and I understand again, I, and, and I don't want to make it sound like council was somehow doing something wrong. They absolutely weren't. It was just, it was a, it was one of those things that you look at. It, it sparked a thought to say, is this really the kind of thing? Do, should we be having decisions being made, even small decisions? by people yeah, who aren't I, going to be there anymore. I'm actually, Scott, surprised that staff would want to present even a visionary statement uh, on as important an issue as that uh, just before an election. Uh, I think they have every right to do so, and it didn't encumber people in any way. They simply, I'm sure, received the document, and the discussions will ensue when, um, when there's more decision-making authority that needs to be exercised. But staff could have used some discretion and said, look, this is such a big issue. Uh, there isn't there. I, I'm sure there, I can't imagine why it would have been time sensitive to do it right now. Uh, but they decided to do it. Maybe they had some some time to fill. They were having a meeting anyway, and they thought at least let's put it on the agenda and table it. And and then we'll do the discussing later on. I'm not sure mm. what uh, staff uh, was yeah. thinking. In tabling it, but you're absolutely right. Unless it, unless something is really time sensitive uh, and needs to be dealt with, and there are some things that, of course, uh, are and and do need to be dealt with, staff should say, "Look, I know that these folks really want to be out there, need to be out there. So let's reduce the agenda. Let's reduce it to those items that are must dos, and leave the visionary stuff for later on." Larry DeAnne, former mayor of the city of Hamilton. Always appreciate your time. Thank you for this. Thank you, Scott. All the best. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Many of you will have by now heard about Bill C-11. Bill C-11. It talks about things online. It talks about what government and the CRTC may or may not be able to do or control or push or not push or Canadian. It's a, it's a whole bunch of things. And honestly, it's confusing, except that there seems to be a consensus everywhere, but within government, that this is a flawed bill. JJ McCullough is, uh, is someone who has spoken about this. He's a commentator. He is uh, described by the Toronto star today as a YouTube sensation. He joins me now. How do you become a YouTube sensation as, as opposed to just a commentator? What's the criteria? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's a funny thing because as I said, when I testified against Bill C-11 at the house of commons a couple months ago, I'm not actually that big of a deal on YouTube, even by Canadian standards. You know, I, I think I'm in like the top, maybe 400 most popular Canadian YouTubers. So like, that's part of the point is that a lot of Canadians have been very successful on YouTube without Bill C-11, which is, you know, ostensibly supposed to help us as we can uh, get into. Okay. So what I'm hoping JJ is look, we can talk about whether it's good, bad, ugly, whatever else, but I'm hoping that you can take a minute or so here and break it down to explain what, what the government, as you understand it, is hoping to do and what will actually happen with Bill C-11. Well, you know, I think that we're all sort of broadly familiar with the regulatory regime that exists in this country as regards to Canadian content on television and radio. So we know that the government, I think, you know, has a sort of regime in place wherein they certify certain types of radio or television shows as being, you know, good Canadian content 
passing the muster as far as that goes. There's a whole certification process that the CRTC has. And then if you're sort of certifiably Canadian content on television or radio, you know, your content gets promoted. We know that there are laws in place that require radios to play X number of Canadian songs. We know that there's, uh, you know, policies in place that require television stations to play X number of Canadian programs during prime time and overall. And basically what Bill C-11 aspires to do is to transfer this regime, which I believe to be quite unpopular with most Canadians, into the realm of the internet. So that would include things like YouTube and TikTok, as well as streaming services like Netflix and, and Disney+, Plus, basically mandating that there has to be certain quotas of quote-unquote Canadian content shown to Canadian audiences in order to sort of promote the sort of Canadian cultural interest. You know, the Canadian Heritage Minister has often talked about that we need these kind of regulations in place to protect our cultural sovereignty, with this, which is this sort of idea that right now Canadians are watching whatever they want, regardless of what country it comes from, and apparently this is not in the national interest. So this is sort of being pursued for kind of nationalistic and sort of patriotic reasons. So I yeah, guess people so, can sort of take or leave that. You know? So for someone like you who, who does stuff on YouTube, the idea here would be we're going to make life way better for J.J. McCullough because now with this new Bill C-11, Canadians will be, for lack of a better term, force-fed this and you'll <laughs> catch on to it. You'll see it, you'll love it, and you'll watch it forever. But I don't yeah, think but you the, believe the that that's is, the reality. Well, I mean, the problem, like maybe, like perhaps that might be the case but on the other hand we don't really know for sure what will qualify or won't qualify as you know certifiably canadian right like basically the way that this legislation works is frankly a lot of legislation in ottawa works these days is that the parliament passes very broad legislation that basically just empowers some executive agency to hash out all of the details so like you know the politicians the trudeau government kind of has broad aspirational goals of protecting our cultural sovereignty and getting Canadians to watch more Canadian content, but like the specifics of that aren't articulated. That's just kind of all dumped on the CRTC's lap and it's kind of like, well, you guys figure it out. So I don't know. It doesn't go without saying. And you know, Professor Michael Geist, if you if you're familiar with him, he's been I've a, had him a on many critic times, of this yep. bill as well. Yeah, yeah. And and like he plays this fun little game on his website where he'll show you like TV shows or movies or songs or whatever and asks you, Do you think this is quote unquote Canadian content? And of course the rules are often like very counterintuitive what you might think is canadian enough to be promoted often is not so i can't take it for granted that simply because i'm a canadian content creator on youtube and you know based in vancouver and somebody who makes a lot of videos about canadian stuff it can't necessarily be taken for granted that my stuff will be you know quote unquote canadian enough to pass the muster you know maybe i you know don't engage enough with the various kind of like social justice type of things that the legislation is supposed to empower you know maybe i don't speak enough french you know maybe i uh you know, just am not uh, talking about enough sort of identifiably Canadian topics as the government deems uh, matter. So well, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, and, it's, and there's yeah. a second part about this though that that so that's the uh, that's the the, the jump-in point now where we can control this. But there are a lot of people who say just because that's where the government is pointing their fingers right now, if we open the door to more powers, it doesn't mean that down the road another government doesn't expand those powers and then rather than just say well you can only we want you to promote this that it couldn't become a little more problematic is that a concern to you yeah i mean i think it's always a concern when you empower government to basically seek to shape the viewing habits of the public 
right? Like the government will say, oh, you know, we're, we're not forcing anyone to watch anything. We just kind of basically want to rig the system. So they're aggressively recommended more content. And, you know, <laughs> what that means, so in practice is that, you know, for example, when you search for something in Google or Netflix or whatever, I mean, the search engine could be sort of screwed up in such a way that it becomes much harder to find non-Canadian content. Like regardless of what words you punch in, the CanCon, you know, bumps to the top of the list. And, you know, maybe they'll even force you to subscribe to certain channels in the way that, you know, the cable packages in this country force you to subscribe to certain Canadian channels, even though you only want, you know, X, Y, and Z, well, you have to subscribe to various Canadian channels as well, because that's sort of in the patriotic greater good. So, I mean, I, I, I you know, I mean, I don't think we're going to wake up in North Korea the day after this no, passes. No, agreed. But at the same time, it is, it is like, these are, I think, regressive powers to give government. And the idea that it's just taken for granted that government has a role in sort of shaping the viewing habits of the public, I think, strikes a lot of people as illiberal and, and sort of against the kind of uh, democratic values sure. that we're supposed to embrace in this country. And there's another part about this that really that I find puzzling, and that is, OK, so the CRTC, let, let's go back to the original idea of Canadian content. A large part of that was because there is limited hours to show stuff on television mm. and there is limited hours and space on radio. You, it's a finite amount that you can put into the hours of the day and how much you can put there on the internet, on YouTube, it's unlimited. So, so there's no, there's no sense that, well, some Canadian is being squeezed out and can't load a video onto YouTube because they're Canadian. If they're good, yes. they will get noticed on the internet. That's a, that is the, the, it's, it's open. It's not like the other things. Anybody could succeed on there. And we've seen that from a lot of people. Yes. Yes. No, that's, that's a fantastic point. And that shows why this is sort of a flawed exercise in its conception. And as I said, right off the top, right? Like I have been successful on YouTube in an unregulated context. And there are many, many, many Canadian creators who have been vastly, vastly more successful than I have in an unregulated YouTube. In fact, when you talk to, when you talk to the YouTube uh, big shots about this, who are all opposed to this legislation for obvious reasons, they will tell you that Canadians are some of the most disproportionately successful uh as far as any nationality goes in YouTube, like pound for pound, we are punching far above our weight. And it's because, you know, Canadians are talented, artistic people. You know, we speak English, which is very useful in a sort of globalized community. You know, we're a wealthy country. So YouTubers, our Canadian YouTubers are, are very successful in realms like movie reviews or fashion reviews or, you know, cooking or any of these other kinds of sorts of things that you kind of are, are products of the kind of uh, the wealthy first world country we are. Right. So it's like, the in the pure marketplace canadians are very well positioned to succeed in a globalized environment we are global entertainers and we've been rewarded by a free market audience driven system and so as i said you know when i was talking to the, the parliamentarians it's like to look at the tremendous success that canadians have achieved on their own and to say that this is some sort of problem to be solved that government's paternalistic hand now needs to you know sort of guide I mean, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, what this is clearly all about is that there are special interests that are driving this. There are special interests who feel, as there always are in Canadian cultural policy, who feel entitled to success, who feel like I want to be more successful than I'm able to be in a free market system. Therefore, government has to rush in and sort of help me achieve my dreams of being a successful entertainer. And I think it's very obvious that that's what's happening. And as well, sort of, you know, that the standard sort of corporate uh, media giants in this country resent the power of the internet because of course it's taking eyeballs away from them. So they want to kind of, you know, kneecap new media in order to prop up old media. 
It is. Uh, it's a fascinating discussion. There's a piece in the Star. Uh, the online streaming act is trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist. Uh, and JJ McCullough is quoted in there. That's that's where they refer to him as the YouTube sensation. So I, you got to get business <laughs> cards made on that one. Uh, listen, JJ, always appreciate having you on here. Thanks for taking some time today. No problem. Thanks for having me on. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let us bring in our good friend, Bubba O'Neill, who is just off the air after doing the sports at CHCH this evening. Sir, how are you this evening? Where on earth are they cloning sheep? Uh, Well, I don't know. There must be some lab somewhere, but uh, once upon a time, that was a big deal. That was a very big deal. Really? Cloning sheep? Well, I would have never thought. You would have never thought? Ba-boom. Get it? Yeah. E-W-E, you would have never thought. See, that's the kind of humor you get here on 900CHML that you don't get anywhere else. No, no it, it, it purely, it, it, that's very, um, I would I would relate that to Phil Perkins' uh, humor. On, Is that right? Uh-oh. Yeah, well, very similar. Okay, well, I apologize. And, and I apologize on behalf of Phil. All right. So, Bubba O'Neill, uh, you tell me, tomorrow night at this time, people will be tuning yeah. in to listen to the Ticats against the Montreal Alouettes here on yeah. 900 CHML. Uh, l- for most of this year, the Ticats, quite frankly, have stunk the joint out. Last week, they show up and look like the greatest team ever. Which team is showing up on the field in Montreal tomorrow? Yeah, you're right. Right about now, I'll just be almost wrapping up the, po- the pregame show. And, uh, yeah, it's... I think that's what we're all waiting for. Um, I think the fan base, I don't care who you are, how much of a loyal Tiger Cat fan you are, um, throughout the first and second quarter, I'll say the first half, you had to have been wondering, what on earth am I seeing? Exactly. Uh, and But I, I think there is part of me, at least personally, that said, I kind of expected a little bit of this last year. Now, this, that level was unbelievable in that first half. 24 points scored in the second quarter against uh, the defending Grey Cup, you know, champions times two. And I don't think Winnipeg took them lightly because Michael Shea, as a head coach, would never allow that to happen. I thought they were competitive, 10-10 after one quarter. They were driving down the field. Zach Caleros was getting rocked. Dane Evans didn't get touched. And, you know, in his post-game press conference, he he was talking about, you know, sometimes you take a, a shot after you throw the football and, the guy's uniform was clean. So many things went right. But to answer your question, I think that when you win a game like that, it gives you that boost of confidence. And I do believe there's been a confidence problem all season long with the Ticats. When they do get into sticky situations, they kind of go, uh-oh, here we go again. A win like that, the standing ovation they got from the 22,000 at Tim Hortons there, I think charged up this team. Do I expect him to go 6-0 and down the stretch? I'm not quite sure. But I think we've seen what this team can do. So I'm excited for this game, and I think Montreal's a very beatable team. They've beaten them once and really should have beaten them in Montreal back on the 20th of, uh, of August, but uh, you know, except for a, a late second field goal with uh, what, no time left on the clock. Well, and so this this game tomorrow, uh, Steve Milton has a piece on the spec.com right now, and I agree wholeheartedly with what Steve says here, and that is, uh, you know, last week was lovely, but your season essentially is riding on this game now. Because if you lose this, you're two wins behind Montreal with five games left, but they have the tiebreaker on you, so you're really three wins behind them 
mm-hmm. with uh, actually it'll be with yeah with five games left. I mean, you have to, they have to win this game tomorrow. They have to. Well, no, if they win the game, they tie they tie the Alouettes. Yeah, but if you fall be if you lose this game, oh, you're sure. in huge trouble. So you yeah, if you're the Ticats, you have to win this game tomorrow. For sure. And you got you then you have Saskatchewan coming here and you've got have to go to Calgary still, which I believe the Ticats have probably won one game in the last twenty years at, at <laughs> It feels like it. You know. Yeah. I, 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 I actually I'm not even joking. I think I'm pretty close on that. At least it's maybe two or three wins in the last twenty years out there. So yeah, you're right. But you know what, though, Scott, here, with, no, with all due respect to Uncle Milty, um, he could write that every single week for each one. He, if they continue to win, right, if they win this week, I think they, they're followed by a bye, and then they come back and host Saskatchewan. And we'll be, we'll be saying the exact same thing about the importance of the game. This is the position that this team has put themselves in due to failed fourth quarters or turnovers they lead the league by a large margin in that category they've cornered themselves in this situation right now where yeah the playoffs have already begun here in hamilton yeah yeah but but i mean especially against a divisional opponent that you are racing for the second playoff spot i mean you it, it, this is a this is this is this is must win time this is this is when you need chad powers to show up do you know who chad powers is Chad Powers. Chad Powers. Okay, you have not been online this week to see the video of Eli Manning going undercover as I, overaged I college yet, freshman Chad Powers. Okay, okay. <laughs> I I haven't seen it yet. It's been actually on sort of on the side things of like, things to watch. I, I believe me, I have a list of these things that I, yeah. I kind of have it, to watch. If people need something to watch, it's really funny. Eli Manning's two-time Super Bowl champion, brother of Peyton, uh, host of Monday Night Football. Uh, he gets all made up in uh, in a disguise and goes as the overage freshman tryout guy at uh, at a university. I can't remember which university he goes to to try it. It's hilarious. It is really funny. Um, sure anyway, all right. So we got the Tie Cats going tomorrow. The other big story right now in the world of sports, and this one is this to me is the most intriguing thing going on right now because it's such a puzzle to me. If if Aaron Judge, New York Yankees outfielder Aaron Judge, if he hits home run number sixty two, mm-hmm. do you consider him to be? What do you consider him to be? You, because there has been no suggestion. Now we, I don't want to be naive. I don't want to mm-hmm. fall into the trap we did with Ben Johnson and then with Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and Barry Bonds. I don't want that. But there's been no suggestion of any kind of performance-enhancing stuff around Aaron Judge whatsoever. No. He, as far as we no. know, is clean as a whistle. So if he hits home run number 62 to pass Roger Maris, do you see him as the guy who passed Roger Maris? Do you see him as the legitimate holder of the home run title? What What do you see him as? Yeah, this is real tricky. Um, what I will say, uh, and what I would say on television, is that he's the all-time leader in, uh, in home runs in the American League. And yes. I have to go by that, Scott, because I can't have my personal opinion go into this. On uh, there is no asterisks. I mean, and, and people have put personal asterisks in their mind beside uh, the number that Barry Bonds put up um, in a season and you know in his career. I, I'm not. I won't do that because, regardless of what my personal morality is. I don't think anyone cares. People wanted, you know, you and myself, or unless you explain it properly, we're about telling facts. And when I open up the record book, 
when I open up BaseballReference.com, the leader all time for, Barry, for for home runs in a season and in a career is Barry Bonds. So I have to respect it that way. But I will reference him as the all time, you know, the the, the all time single season uh, home run leader in the American League. I, and I can't see any way other other uh, any other way around it. The the fact that he plays for the Yankees is to me is inevitably going though whether you or I or anyone else agrees is inevitably going to lead to that position being taken that he is now the legitimate and again we don't have to agree but that's it, that the that's what the story is going to be that he has just become the all time leader and here's what I don't get because. I think a lot of people would believe that. I think a lot of people are sour on the other guys for what happened. Sure. And yet when I watch the games and I see the outfield, Aaron Judge is up to bat. And I remember the Maguire days and the Sosa days and even the Bonds days when you, the outfield was jammed. There wasn't a seat to be had. There were tons of empty seats at Yankee Stadium the other day when he hit number 60. And I'm like, where this is this is one of the biggest achievements, one of the biggest moments. Where are the people? We talked about this well, with the Jays yesterday, but where are the people? I, I, I thought about that and I had to do some research and when on my way home I listened to six sixty the fan, which is the New York radio station. And what had happened in that situation is that it was a sold out sold out crowd as always at, at that building. I believe they're either first or second in attendance, is that the Yankees were losing eight three, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and people Remember, I mean, that home run, the number 60, triggered a wild four-run, five-run comeback, um, which finished off with Giancarlo standing, hitting, hitting that uh, grand slam. So people have actually gone home thinking, uh, you know, the Yankees had blown it um, in a situation where they were losing, what, 8-3 or 8-4. So that's the reason for that. For that. Yeah, and I hear you. I hear you, and that makes some sense. But if you've got someone doing something remarkable, I like okay. So back in 1982, I remember it exactly. June or J- January the 16th, 1982. I think it was 82, but it was January 16th for sure. The Edmonton Oilers were coming to Maple Leaf Gardens to play against the Leafs, and it was the uh, my dad had got me tickets for that game. It was the one time I got to see Wayne Gretzky play live. You're right. The Oilers lost eight to one that night. And yet, because it was Wayne Gretzky and because he was having that kind of season where he was scoring all, setting all kinds of scoring records, they never left. They stuck around right till the end. They lost 8-1. They still stayed to the end to see what Wayne Gretzky would do. I can't believe that a baseball audience as educated as the Yankees fans would, loss or not, would bail out when Aaron Judge is doing what he's doing. Yeah, I, I, th- I, think, I think you got the New York crowd all wrong. Right, and I listened to a lot of New York radio and kind of followed that team for a long time. And 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 they get they get they their their expectations are so high. They're not they're not um, very fair weather like us here. They, they, you know, we're very protective of the Blue Jays, and uh, you know, though we get mad at them, we're always back. And it's the same thing for the Maple Leafs, right? I mean, think about it. The Maple Leafs haven't won a, a Stanley Cup since. 1967 yet you know here i am doing clips about training camp and how excited everyone is it's not like that in new york right once they start losing they're 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 out of it they're they're, they're gone right and and in my their mind we're losing eight three to the lousy pirates they're eight four to the pirates i'm out of here it's a midweek game uh, yeah there's a story about judge 
Uh, he probably, I mean, remember, he was let off the ninth inning, too. So maybe there was a mindset, too, that he wouldn't even get up again as, as well. So they, that's why they bailed out. Maybe. Their standards, maybe. Their standards, their standards are a little different. And, yeah, we, we, we're just so much different here than they are. It's kind of I like guess. what I hear in Philadelphia. I hear it's like, like that in, in, in Los Angeles, too. If their teams aren't performing, they don't care. They're out. They're pissed off. Well, may, may, so I mean, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, if I if there's a chance he's coming back up again, and who knows what he might do, I'm not leaving. But the other one was, so we were down. My, my son got me tickets for the Buffalo Bills game. I mentioned this earlier in the week, and we were down there for Monday night, and the Bills blew oh, out the Titans, wow. and so a lot of fans left. And again, maybe it's just me being cheap, but I'm thinking <laughs> with the cost of these tickets, I'm not leaving until they kick me out. Why would I leave? after only like a little bit of the third quarter, just because the game is a blowout. I, no, I just, that was, I, that was the announcer on six sixty. That's what he was saying is that you people that left losers. Right. And I'll, I'm with you, Scott. They, I, under no circumstances, I don't care what the score is. I don't care what the temperature is. I'm staying until the final whistle or the find the end of the, the last pitch or the last kick. I'm not leaving. I invited to watch this whole entire sporting event. Stuff happens. Stuff happens. Right. Crazy stuff happens. I, I look. You, you, we all remember the story of what year was it? Nineteen ninety-three, when the Buffalo Bills were down what thirty-five to three to the Houston Oilers yep. in the second half, and yep. Frank Reich brought them yep. back to win that playoff game. And there's mm-hmm. people out in their cars turning around and trying to drive back to the stadium and they can't get yep. back in. Can't get why back would in. you, why would you pay top dollar for a ticket to anything these days and then not stick around and ride it out? I don't get it. The, 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 what I would call a lousy excuse. I, I always hear in these situations, even friends of mine, they're like, yeah, we left and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, why did you leave? He's like, Oh, I wanted to beat the traffic. Well, if you, wanted to, if you were concerned about the traffic, why didn't you just sit your butt down on your leather sofa with your son or your daughter and, and, and you know, cook some popcorn and watch on your big screen? What are you Agreed. going to the game for? It, it makes I agree. no sense to me. It's, 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 it's so silly. Like, that's part there, of it. It's like, well, it's, like if yeah. to, if it's like if you go to the movies, right? You have to know that your popcorn, which would cost you probably 50 cents at home, is going to cost you eight bucks. If you don't want to pay it, don't go. But you, that's part of it. That's part of the but, show. But that's a great, you know, th- there's an example there too, is when was the last time? Now, I know that people have left movies before because maybe because they're offended by something. They, they get into a movie and they find something that offends their sensibilities and so they leave. But rarely do you hear of someone who gets three quarters of the way through a movie. Someone might even leave a movie 10 minutes in because they go, this is not, this is terrible. This is not what I thought. But when was the last time you heard of someone going three quarters of a way through a movie and then saying, ah, I'm just not clicking. I'm going to leave. Once you've reached yeah. a certain point, you're committed to it. No one leaves. You're, yes. You're like like, like, pot, like poker, you're pot committed. Like You might as well. You might be surprised. There might be some twists that you don't even know or expect. It makes no sense to me. Have you ever left anything early i have there there is one embarrassing example that i will have but i'll ask you first have you ever left sports or entertainment have you left early from anything that you wish you hadn't never i'm there to the bitter end yeah Friends the one the time <laughs> the one time i did was during sars stock the, the the big concert in toronto at the uh downsview air force base 
we did want to beat the traffic because there was 400,000 people. (laughs) And so we skipped out on the stones and I'd seen them before. So I was okay with it. Nonetheless, I still look back and go, I shouldn't have. Well, ACDC, ACDC won the day. You couldn't do better than ACDC. I'd seen the stones and it it was going to be the traffic jam to end all traffic jams. I am not proud of myself. I'm saying that's the one time I did it. But other than that, have never, have never. I mean, when I was a kid, and my dad and I would go to an NHL game. We went once a year when tickets were not what they are now. Like once upon a time, good tickets to a Leaf game were 35 bucks, believe yeah. it or not. People would be going. We would stay till the bitter end to make sure we heard all three stars. And, you know, yes. the guy skated. Yes. Like you're kicking us out before we're leaving. Yes. I want to hear Paul Moore say the three stars. Like Absolutely. I, again, I feel I, it, it's foreign to me that that kind of behavior. This is I'm a sportscaster. I, I I I've seen too many things. Even you know what I, I hate to use this example, but even even what happened in Calgary this last weekend between the Lions and, and the Stampeders, that that there's a brawl at the end of the game. Yeah, right? yeah, and, and which which caused a player um, a judge for uh, the Stampeders to get suspended one game. Like I I, I want to see that stuff. Like, one one of the favorite stories I've written, and it's timely because we're in the 50th anniversary celebration right now of the Summit Series. There, I can't remember his name. I'll think of it momentarily, probably after we're done on the air. Uh, not that it matters. There is a professor at Niagara College who, as a young man, went to Russia. And his tour group, there were a bunch of them, the KGB agents who were sort of leading it, told them they had to leave in the third period of the last game. And he tells the story that as he's pushing the door open at the Lushniki Sports Palace to leave, he hears a roar and realizes that he just missed the greatest moment ever. And he never saw Paul Henderson's goal, even though he was in the building. Oh, man. You know, that if that isn't... Now, I know not everything is the Paul Henderson goal, but if that isn't enough of a moment to say, I'm never leaving early because you never know what might happen, I don't know what could possibly be. Wow, imagine that. And like I mean, imagine those days too. You might be a little bit more resistant nowadays, but could you imagine in nineteen seventy two you're being you're alone in Russia and and I shouldn't even the Soviet Union, sorry. And and, yep. and and they and the KGB are like telling you to leave, you're out of there. <laughs> yeah, oh no, I mean he see his thing was he didn't have a choice. He didn't yeah, he, he, he was no de- he was devastated, although it wasn't his choice to do this. But other people, I mean, I, I'd love to know how many people have missed, what's the word I'm looking for, legendary sports moments because well, they decided you, to beat I, the traffic. I, I think you said the best one, right? The, the, the Bills and Houston Oilers game, that is, I mean, you're looking at the, big, the biggest comeback in NFL history, in NFL playoff history. Like that, 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 what happened there was, I mean, will live in Bills, in NFL history, not just Bills history, that will live in NFL history. We will see. The, um, you know, those, those old NFL film things, you know, 50 years from now, they'll still be rolling that yep. because it was so incredible. I mean, 35 to three. Right? In a and here's game. the, here's the thing about it that makes me so that, that I just don't get is so when people say, well, it was a blowout. So why am I leaving? If it, the, the greatest comebacks are always the ones that happen from a blowout situation. You're not going to leave if it's two to one, probably, unless you're a real idiot. Um, but it's the memorable ones. So yeah, your team is down eight to one. All right, that's fine. What will you remember? Well, if you happen to stick around for that once in 
50 times that your team comes back, that's the game you're going to remember. You're going to want to be there. I don't know. I just, I'm with you. I don't understand the, and so if, if the explanation is that the fans weren't there for Aaron judge hitting home run number 60, cause they had to beat the New York traffic. Yeah. All right. All right. But you know, you know what, can I, can I say this too? And, and this, this is, this might be come off as somewhat. You, you tell me, I, I think again, too, when you're talking about that Yankee stadium crowd, and this happens in Toronto as well, too. I can't take Toronto out of this equation. A lot of those fans that are sitting in those, and you know what I'm talking about, I got, I got um, quotations here, those seats, they're not real fans. They're these, you know, the corporate guys that didn't have to really pay for the ticket. There were some, you know, dealings on and meetings going on. And, you know, those are the guys that want to beat the traffic. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, no, no, it's, um, yeah, no, I, I get that. And even then, even then, I, I have to believe that most of the people who, even if you got a ticket that somebody would stick, would want to stick around cause you don't want to miss those things. However, I mean, those, those, you know, those the, whatever. Those are the folks who are, that were enjoying, you know, California rolls and <laughs> Chablis, right? having a Chablis yeah. with their yeah, sushi. You know, yeah. So anyway. Like, hey, 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 oh, hey, what's going on in the game? Oh, let me. Oh, it's eight two. Better beat the oh, let me get back to my Chablis and my Beaujolais Nouveau. What year is this? Oh, mm. uh, yes. All right. Well, I'll let you get back to it. I, I don't. I know you don't drink Beaujolais Nouveau before you do the eleven o'clock news. But um, you know, in, in the event that Phil Perkins brings some some night or someone, you know, I'll let you get back to it. But thanks for doing this as always, my friend, Bubba O'Neill from always, CHCHTV. Always thanks. The Scott Radley Show, weekday evenings from six to eight on nine hundred CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.